Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Hello, this is State Representative Jim Keffer, and as we all know, I have trouble from time to time with open mics, but uh, I hope this mic's open because I'm here to welcome you to the current Tridcast. Uh, for the people around the world, uh, or maybe just people around the Capitol, or maybe it's just the voices in Evan's head, I don't know, but here is your host, Emily Ramshaw. Man, I hope that mic was open. Thank you, Representative. Uh, this is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the first week of July. I'm joined by Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Tribune reporter Patrick Svitek. Good morning. And reporter Alexa Ura. Hello. We're just going to let that pass, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> now we have official confirmation. She's obviously not running for office again. <laughs> <laughs> now we have official confirmation that that was what Representative Keffer said on the microphone, not let me pass, which is what his office originally told us. Yeah, they were, you know, got the wallpaper department out immediately after he said that. Let's wallpaper over this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've had a uh, ridiculously big news week, starting with the huge headline on Friday from the Supreme Court ruling that gay marriage was legal in all 50 states. Uh, obviously, that doesn't mean that Texas is going along just to get along. Uh, Alexa, what has been the response here uh, in a state where the Constitution defines marriage as being between one man and one woman? Well, almost immediately after the Supreme Court ruled that gay marriage was legal and that states had to recognize it, not only for marriages in that state, but from others, Republicans were pretty dismayed about it. They were calling out the Supreme Court for doing this. They were saying that they were activist judges. Greg Abbott, the governor, called them a nine-person elected, unelected legislature. And so they were pretty up in arms. There was also quick reaction about them infringing on religious liberty of Texans, especially those county clerks and county officials who do not believe in marriage between people of the same sex. And so that's been sort of the big response from the elected officials, including Ken Paxton, who told county clerks that they could essentially reject issuing same-sex marriage licenses, but that they should expect to be sued. Mm -hmm. And so what have we seen then so far these county clerks doing? I mean, I know there was an, a really interesting Bud Kennedy column this morning uh, that looked at, you know, one, I'm trying to remember which county it was, Hunt County? Well, he had, a bunch, of, county. He had a bunch of Hood Hood he had a bunch of emails from different county right. clerks reacting to it on a, on a list serve. One woman saying, had. one clerk saying, I chased off the first same-sex couple who showed up, you know. Yeah, Brewster Is County the said, right thing? Did I do, help, help, did I do the right <laughs> help, thing? Help, help, I chased them off. There's a county clerk list serve? <laughs> Apparently, Apparently. Oh, I wish we could get Genius. all of those. Emails. I mean, that was such a good idea. Well, but they were them. they were they were obviously very upset with state leadership. I mean, I think one of the county clerks even said, you know, Greg Abbott left us out to dry and and didn't provide any sort of guidance or any cover for us. Well, they basically didn't get direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had a bunch of Republican state leaders sort of looking at each other, waiting to see like who was going to release what statement, and then, you know, eventually Paxton put out the statement that said basically, you all um, should do what you what was you. Opinion. feel is right. An wasn't opinion. Just a yeah, yeah, right. Just, an opinion that basically said you all should do, you know, what what feels right to you. If your religious, um, you know, um, beliefs basically stand in the way of you issuing these, you shouldn't. 
but by the way, like we can't really defend you. You know, there's some pro bono lawyers in the state who can. And that opinion came out on Sunday afternoon, right? right? right. And I think Days on the, later. On the yeah. eve of the ruling or hours before it, Paxson had said, wait, you'll get guidance from me. Wait for right. my direction. And nothing ever came in the immediate mm-hmm. aftermath from no, Paxson's they're, they're, office. No, they said, we're going to send something out today. And then it was, we're going to send something out later today. Mm-hmm. And then it was not clear. And then it wasn't until Sunday afternoon that we got that In opinion. response to a Dan Patrick's inquiry. I think they looked yeah. at it and, you know, it looked like they wanted to draw a hard line and say you don't have to do this or you do have to do this and they didn't want to say you do have to do this and so they basically said you know you can not do this if you don't want to and we'll try to get some pro bono lawyers to help you out and you know by the time it all sorted out it looked like a lot of the people who would like to not be granting these licenses looked at it and said you know I'm going to get my butt sued I better start granting these licenses including mm-hmm. the clerk in Hood County who had made a big show out of not granting them at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right i mean you know patrick put paxton in kind of a weird position by asking for this specific opinion and you know i think everybody was waiting for abbott to decide where he was going to come down on this i think he gave cover to paxton honestly mm-hmm. i mean he i do too you know, yeah. you know, i almost he, feel like they're on the same page about it yeah but but by asking for the opinion you know, you know, he, I don't want to say forced Paxton's hand, but he, he made sure that, that that statement, that guidance eventually got out there. Um, otherwise, Paxton, you know, may have felt like he was in the position to have to say something on, on Friday official. I don't know. But I think in some ways, politically, it was cover. Right. Except that the opinion that ended up coming out to me felt entirely toothless. I mean, to me, it felt like that it created even sort of more problems for these clerks. It created confusion. And that was what was evident in the emails that Bud Kennedy was writing about was, you know, that the clerks were sort of, what do I need to do here? Uh, the funniest one was, and I don't remember the county helped me out here, the clerk that was saying, you know, I've married people that were cheating on each other. Oh, I've yeah. married people who <laughs> were drunk. I've married people who should not get married. And I'm not going down on this one. I feel like the, the governor and the attorney general threw <laughs> right. us under the bus. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Yeah. Kind of cross the line somewhere. I guess. <laughs> the word from the word from East Texas is in. Right, exactly. <laughs> the result; these results are in. Well, what I mean, you know, interestingly, while the clerks were sort of trying to figure this out at the county level, state agencies seem to have sort of just been moving forward and following the Supreme Court's, mm-hmm. you know, ruling. We had almost immediately the Department of State Health Services sort of change the language on the marriage, marriage licenses. licenses. Uh, we had ERS. So what does that mean? It, instead of saying man, woman, it says Appli- um, you know, applicant one, one, applicant, applicant two. two. Yeah. You right. know, they did that like Friday. Friday. They, they were done with it. They weren't waiting for, even though they had direction, basically, that state agencies don't have to do anything that makes them uncomfortable or their employees uncomfortable. You know, they move forward. And then what the ERS news? Yeah. So the employee retirement system, the University the university of Texas system and the A&M system have all quickly said, you know, we're analyzing this. And by Monday had decided that they were going to extend benefits to the spouses of their gay employees. And just yesterday afternoon, the teacher retirement system also announced that they're going to do it for all public education employees. So they were, I mean, it was a pretty quick decision. They all, it sounds like they all heard from their employees asking when is this going to happen, and so that put a little bit of pressure on them. But I don't think that they were ever, it, it didn't seem like they were ever refusing to do it. it they were just yeah. trying to make sure they were getting everything correct, and they were pretty quick. It just sounds like, despite the, the political environment, no state agency wants to be ground zero for some kind right. of religious liberty right. litigation. Right. Well, there's going to be a lot of religious liberty litigation. In fact, the core in the particularly in the dissents mm-hmm. uh, spelled out you know what about this what about this uh, John Roberts in his dissent said you know what do we do about this case with adopted kids and what do we do about this case you know kind of almost said hey lawyers go here yeah, over right. here over mm-hmm. here um, but I think you know the government agencies like you say it looks like the government agencies don't want to be the uh, in, in those lawsuits let the people who are served or not served by the result mm-hmm. 
do those lawsuits. And I expect there will be a whole lot of them. And I expect yeah. that this will be a continuing theme, particularly in the Republican primary. Are you with the Supremes on this or not? Um, and, you know, I think we're probably going to start hearing ideas about how to trim around the edges of this. If this is going to be the law of the land, you know, what about this case? Back to where Roberts was pointing and some others have pointed, mm-hmm. you know, what about this case and this case and this case? And that will show up in legislation. Right. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, this these agencies and their commissioners serve the governor. I mean, do you think they're getting sort of implicit guidance or unspoken guidance from the governor's office? Like, look, just do, just follow this? Or do you, I mean, are they, do you think they're getting any guidance on how to behave from the governor's office? Based on the public statements so far? Based on what we don't know, based on what's happening behind the scenes. If you're a state agency, you know, commissioner, and you're looking, you're getting ready to extend, you know, benefits. I mean, look, these, these things are expensive, too. It's not like there's no financial hit. If they're getting instructions from the governor, then you can only conclude from their actions that the instructions are follow the, what the Supreme Court just ruled. Right. Well, and we also saw that in that. If the governor wants to claim that. Right. <laughs> I'm just wondering, well, would they act without any guidance from the governor's office? They're supposed to. Act I mean, we're, we've gotten <laughs> yeah. out of the habit under <laughs> yeah. 14 years of the right. same governor, but they're supposed to. You're, mm-hmm. spo- you're appointed to do this. You're, uh, the commissioners with executive directors or advisors to the executive directors who are executive officers, and you know, you're not supposed to need to call home every time. If I'm the Department of State Health Services and it's Friday afternoon in the middle of all this stuff and we're waiting on statements from Paxton, we're waiting on statements from Abbott, you think I'm going to change the language on the marriage form without getting an okay from the governor's office? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't do. know. You're under new management. You're under new management at HHSC. You know, the court opinion. I mean, you know, I read the whole thing. It's pretty clear. You know, you don't have to like it. It's pretty clear. Well, and we now know <laughs> that the county clerks were all freaking out. And so I bet there was some pressure from there where, you know, we can't change our own forms. We need you to change the state one so we can use right. that Tell one. us what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually thought it was interesting that any of that came down from the Department of State Health Services at all. It's not like the Secretary of State's office or anything like that. It was interesting when I saw that blast come from that agency. Well, because they manage all of that. They manage marriage like, licenses, birth certificates, vital, death certificates. All those vital, yeah. Yep. I think there's probably also an element of, you know, when you look at this, you say, you know, where do we want the fight to be? And and the fight ought to be on the front line. And, you know, if you're if you're DSHS, you're probably saying we don't, we're not the front line. We're just providing a form to the people on the front line. Mm-hmm. Here's your form. Good luck. Goodbye. Yeah. Close right. the doors. Yeah, Turn yeah, off exactly. the lights. Well, so, but you also saw it in, in the memo that Abbott sent out to the heads of state agencies saying, you know, protect religious liberty even. And this can apply to making contract decisions and extending benefits. And then they quickly clarified that saying we're not giving anyone the green light to withhold benefits from same-sex spouses. And so the fact that all of these agencies responded so quickly, I, I see that as sort of a connection that maybe behind the scenes there was a little bit more direction than we were aware of right so and then what happens with like gay couples and adoption and and all these other like pieces of legislation that have not moved in past sessions well the question now is whether the supreme court ruling will also affect the way the state handles adoptions and handles the way same-sex spouses have children there's two situations you can base you can have a same-sex couple adopt a child that was born to other parents you know someone who was orphaned or 
was given up for adoption. But then you have a situation where you have, say, a lesbian couple and one of the moms gives birth to a child and the second mom has to essentially adopt that child. And so there's questions now, you know, should they be should they both be on the birth certificate if they're adopting a child that someone else um, gave birth to gave birth to use a supplemental birth certificate. But that says mom who is a who is a female and dad who is a male. So only one parent can be listed. So it's a, it's a tangle of family laws that will now have to be fought. Family lawyers are saying that it'll probably require a lawsuit because they don't anticipate the state easily resolving this. Yeah. All of the benefits and privileges that come with marriage, you know, tax law and all of that kind of stuff. Um, those are all, you know, not all of them, but a lot of that's room for litigation. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, we ruled on, you know, you could look at this and squint at it and say, well, they ruled on marriage. They didn't rule on adoption. They didn't rule on right. this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you're going to get sort of that, you know, that that green eggs and ham effect. You know, what about on a boat? What about with a goat? What You know, everybody's going to test all of the things around it in the same way they have for 40 years after Roe v. Wade. Well, and it seems like all this stuff is going to actually have to end up back with the Supreme Court because if all these cases work their way through Texas like they're used to and end mm-hmm. up at the Fifth Circuit, which is a conservative court, you know, they, they don't have a good track record of winning there. Well, and when it comes to adoption and parental rights, it's so varied across the country that you'll eventually need the high court to decide this is the way we're going to do this. Yes. Right. And, that, and that's why I think Paxton's opinion, you know, wasn't too surprising. I know when people came out, people who are a little more skeptical of Republican leadership in the state were like, you know, he's basically just encouraging people to go out and get involved in lawsuits. Given the fact this is eventually going to all make it back to the Supreme Court, you know, it's kind of like, why not just jumpstart that, that <laughs> yeah, process right. Get now? that religious yeah. liberty yeah. fight yeah. there. For the state's top lawyer to push you know, yeah. some further lawsuits. Just accelerate it. All right. Well, uh, the other sort of blow to the AG's office this week was uh, another round of SCOTUS rulings, and one in particular uh, on the state's HB2 abortion legislation. So what did the court specifically say about this with this 5-4 ruling? They they were very vague in the ruling. There was no sort of reasoning, but essentially they put this law on hold until the abortion providers can appeal to the Supreme Court. And this was just weeks after the Fifth Circuit, which is the most one of the most conservative appellate courts, ruled that the that the law was constitutional, that the state could impose these tough regulations on abortion providers that would essentially close most of the clinics in the state. It would leave about nine or 10 is the estimate right now. But, you know, this is the second time the Supreme Court puts this law on hold. They did the same thing in October before the abortion providers appealed to the Fifth Circuit. The 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 number, the votes changed a little bit, but I think it's almost inevitable that this ends up before them and that they get to decide. And so, the, so what they're deciding is basically whether they're going to take this case up. Right. So they've put it on hold for now. They don't have to enforce the requirements. Meaning but some like 23 clinics will remain open in Just Texas, about the, the 19 number. to 20 We is the number that's been put out there. But essentially they can remain open until the abortion providers file their lawsuit and the Supreme Court decides whether they'll take it up. If they take it up, it sounds like the stay will continue. If they don't, then the state will be able to enforce those regulations. All right. And so... Basically, what we're saying is these amb- the ambulatory surgical center and admitting privileges requirements that have been the sticking points don't get to go into effect. Right. And if there's a 5-4 vote to sort of, you know, reconsider whether we're going to hear this, sh- does that lead us to believe there will be a 5-4 decision to overturn this law? I mean, th- th- this is the second time that Justice Kennedy sides with the liberal judges and so uh, the justices. And so it doesn't take nine judges to take up a case. How many does it take to take I up a case? I think it's four. 
I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> quick, quick, quick. I'm not a lawyer. I, 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 think only four judges, I think only four justices have to say, yeah, let's take that one. Right. Well, I mean, how hard of a hit were these rulings? And there were a couple other Texas-related rulings in the last week. But how hard of a hit are these for the AG's office, for Paxton, or even more so for Abbott, who was the AG prior to becoming governor? Right. Like, he what started are the, most of these lawsuits. Right. I mean, what are the political implications of these losses? perceived losses? Well, I think on on gay marriage specifically, if you want to single that one out, I mean, a lot of people knew which way that decision was going to go. Um, I don't think, you know, Republicans are going to be faulting, uh, you know, Paxton or Abbott for the way that the Supreme Court ruled on that. I mean, they're going to be looking, you know, specifically primary voters in Texas are going to be looking to Paxton and Abbott for leadership on this religious liberties issue. And that's going to be the next front. But I, I don't see people faulting them. I think the, the, ha- the only down. way they might get some some fault there is the Fifth Circuit, where the Texas case is still stuck at, has asked the state and the plaintiffs whether they still want them to rule. Mm-hmm. And if they rule and they side with the plaintiffs, I think that could be a blow to the state and the arguments that they made before that court. Mm-hmm. And they were and and the just the judges there were extremely skeptical of the state's argument at the time, and so it could go either way there, really. Mm-hmm. But I think politically, it's been good for them. Yeah, I mean, I was going <laughs> to puts yeah. them back on the front lines of, of fighting, you know, alleged government. Right, for their voters. Right. I mean, this is the whole. Right. You know, it's easier to it's easier to um, show your middle finger to the federal government yeah. when you're mad at them, yeah. and right. when they're opposed to you. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly, an opportunity to continue the federalism fight. It's clearly given uh, Cruz a renewed platform in the last week. I mean, he was already on his sort of Washington cartel tour, mm-hmm. and now this gives him fodder. Patrick, tell us a little bit about uh, you were with Cruz last weekend in Iowa. Tell us a little bit about this sort of renewed message and then how all the Supreme Court stuff played into it. Sure. So this was kind of a perfect storm for him. Just last week uh, in a speech at the Heritage Foundation, he kind of officially debuted this new kind of foil in Washington, which is the Washington cartel, which to him is kind of this confluence of uh, money, influence, lobbyists, uh, lawmakers who enable those lobbyists and special interests. It's stuff that he's been talking a lot about before, but he now has this new label for it, the Washington cartel. And so after kind of rolling out that messaging in, in D.C., he headed to Iowa just when all these Supreme Court rulings were coming down. And so in, in Iowa, he basically, in a, in a speech at Drake University, he uh, he officially inducted the Supreme Court into the Washington cartel <laughs> and <laughs> said that, you know, he had this uh, hour, this speech that was probably more than an hour long at Drake University. It was it was long. And, For those of um, us live streaming it, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was long. <laughs> will it work? Will arms. it work? Yeah. <laughs> we were live streaming it. But poor Todd, who is sitting right here with us, was live streaming it on his phone because all of the luggage got lost in transit. Oh, and He's I putting was, all of the live streaming yeah, equipment. Right. And I was back home in Austin imagining Todd's arms like shaking, <laughs> holding this phone steady for all of there, this There time. were a lot of unsung heroes <laughs> that day in Iowa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, the speech at Drake, though, I mean, you know, the message was believe again. And it was really that it was, you know, that that overall message was kind of hopeful and optimistic and probably something that Cruz wants to get out there. But the speech that he gave, you know, about 10 to 15 minutes was just completely kind of blasting the Supreme Court, blasting judicial overreach. Um, I tweeted this during it and I stand by it. You know, it was E. coli level red meat um, for, for uh, oh, the audience. I saw Iowa. that tweet. And, nice um, line, yeah. Zing. <laughs> and I, I, I think it, I think it still applies. I mean, they, they 
loved it, and they stayed with him through an hour and fifteen minute long speech. Um, and he so, called it like yeah. a. They were calling it a landmark speech. You know, was it in your mind like? A, I don't think it was well, a they, landmark. They, they, they kind of hyped it before, they hyped right? It oh, a big yeah. Way. yeah, yeah. They hyped yeah. it a few days beforehand. I mean, obviously, it, it <laughs> never lives up to the campaign's you know individual hype, right. but it, it certainly was one of the more notable speeches and, and most kind of staged speeches that he has given since launching his mm-hmm. campaign. And I think that reflected just their kind of renewed commitment to Iowa in some ways, which is which has been mm-hmm. reported out there. Well, was this, getting, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, was this before or after the darkest hours remark? So he first, I, I believe he first used the darkest hours remark in a, in a radio interview with Sean Hannity on Friday. and but that he then referring brought, to the, the Supreme Court's rulings ruling. in the oh, last sorry, few not days. Abortion, the gay marriage ruling. Obamacare. Yeah. And, the, and, and the ACA. And right. He said um, one of the darkest 24-hour periods, mm-hmm. which leaves room for, you know, 9-11. <laughs> sure. Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Harbor. He, yeah, <laughs> he, he repeated that, though, during his speech on, on Saturday. And... Um, you know, again, you know, one of the things I think that stood out to me, I think it was a smart political play. Um, he made ref- very direct reference to the 2010 effort, which was successful in Iowa, to, to remove three state Supreme Court justices who had were complicit in legalizing gay marriage there. And so when he was pitching to this audience at Drake University the idea of having judicial retention elections, you know, these are people who still remember that fight from 2010, and they just went nuts. Um, and he made a very direct link between that proposal and what happened in Iowa in 2010. Let's just pause for a moment and talk about how much it would cost <laughs> to run an election and how much money would be involved in an election to keep or not keep, you know, pick your favorite justice here, Scalia. Insane, yeah. I mean, you know, and if you did three at a time, you know, like they do in, in yeah. places like Iowa, and you mm-hmm. had three elections up, or in Texas, you know, Texas... Uh, a contested Supreme Court justice election in Texas can easily go a million bucks. Right. I mean, th- I mean, if you did a federal election, you know, a lot of money that now goes to presidential races would go, you know, heck with the presidential race. Let's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, all yeah. in on the well, Supreme I, Court I mean, thing. The Supreme Court, they're the real decision makers on, on <laughs> you know, virtually everything. Yeah. You want to Yeah. I thought it was curious that Ted Cruz, someone who is sort of this avid lover of the Constitution, wanted to change it in light of this and, and really wanted to, to mess with the way it set up our government. It, just... it was some of the more uh, cynical members of, of the audience uh, at this this Drake University speech. They had given out pocket constitutions and <laughs> you saw some people going through looking at the, you know, the, the part of the Let Constitution that says this. that this is how the Supreme Court is set up. Well, especially <laughs> so. because, you know, when there's a Citizens United ruling, it is, you know, the, the Supreme Court has upheld the Constitution. It's done exactly exactly the right thing and then mm-hmm. when the shoe is on the other foot it's like let's well I mean yeah. you know both sides do this it's like yeah, you know right right activist you know. judges depending on activist what side you're on and when you have a lot of these 5-4 rulings I mean it's close this stuff is hinging on one person so mm-hmm. it's that's an immense amount of power and he addressed <laughs> right. this too in his in the actual prepared remarks of his speech you know he said I know a lot of people view me as a strict constitutionalist which I am and here's why this is still in keeping with the constitution and I think you know he said that you know impeachment is obviously what the constitution prescribes in these cases, but right. he, he said that, uh, you know, how do we expect a Senate that can't even block Loretta Lynch to, to muster the votes for impeaching a, you know, a judge? Supreme Court right. So that's, I guess, why he's, he's resorting to the yeah. retention elections. Well, Cruz has gotten a lot of press this week because he also released his memoir, um, where we get to see somebody else on a cover wearing a sort of leather bomber jacket, <laughs> <laughs> reminiscent of our pal Rick Perry. But uh, what did we learn from this memoir that we didn't already know, other than the fact that poor Ted Cruz's kids were opening Christmas presents while Cruz was in the back office writing this <laughs> memoir. Oh, I think I think the the most newsworthy episode is the one involving Carl Rove and 
I don't know if we want to get into that now. But. Sure. I mean, jump right in. I'm curious. Uh, you know, God forbid we should do anything like that on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. All right. We'll, we'll get to Carl Rove, uh, who we did just see this morning at Starbucks. Uh, but uh, tell me a couple of the other things unrelated to Carl Rove you learned in this. I mean, there were sure. some interesting details about his half-sister mm-hmm. um, and a yeah. drug overdose. I think some of the more interesting details were in, in the biographical realm, I guess. You know, one thing about his dad, we got the most detail we've heard yet about his dad's kind of revolutionary background in, in Cuba. Um, he talks about how after you know his dad was jailed and, and tortured in Cuba, he got out and, and sought to join Fidel Castro's army, which at the time, according to Cruz, was certainly not this you know symbol of, of communism and, and tyranny that you know has come to I guess symbolize it, at least at one point in, in Cuban history. And so that was that was kind of new information we had never heard. You know that specific kind of biographical information about his his dad. We also heard um, you know he opened up about a lot of uh, family members' kind of vices, specifically alcohol. Um, but as we pointed out in her story, no, no, no kind of vignette seemed more tragic than that of his half sister Miriam, and. Um you know, basically, uh, she had, I guess, gotten involved in, in a life of addiction and kind of petty crime. Um, she got out of out of prison and, you know, was staying at a crack house in, in Philadelphia with her young uh, son, Joey. And at one point, Ted and his father, he recounts, um, you know, they flew to Washington. They drew up to Philadelphia to try to talk some sense into her. And it, I guess it just didn't work out. Um, Cruz kind of intervened and, and, and sent Joey to, to uh, military school. Um, but... I guess it was all kind of too late, and in 2011, I believe, Miriam died of an accidental drug overdose. And so, you know, it was only really maybe just two pages or even just a few paragraphs in the book, um, but it was, you know, it was, it was pretty sad, I think. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part that was that was really compelling to me was listening, was reading Cruz talk about how heartbroken he was not to get a position in, mm-hmm. in George W.'s administration. You know, he'd worked on the campaign. He was a sort of policy advisor. He, he, he describes himself as sort of having a a big ego and, you know, lobbing a lot of ideas and sort of ruffling feathers among sort of the elder Bush statesmen, but then really just being crushed because I think he had it, you know, he thought he had this position coming to him and it, and it didn't come along. It's It was very humanizing to me to think about somebody who's sort of super ambitious, you know, thought, thought he'd earned it and then really like had this huge wake-up call that maybe his behavior, you know, on the campaign go, hadn't won Go read won Dale him. Carnegie a couple more times. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah right. Hadn't won him any, any fans. So it was interesting. I thought it was pretty pretty well written, frankly, having read some of these guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at least for me, at least the first two thirds, especially the biographical stuff was pretty, mm-hmm. um, you know, intriguing. All right. Carl Rove. OK. What? <laughs> we know everybody wants it. to get there. Do, do we want the, the cliff notes? Is this where we reveal that Carl Rove accidentally stole a cop's coffee this it's morning? It's true. <laughs> there was a cop at Starbucks. Yeah. Mocha. <laughs> and yeah, Carl Rove mocha stole, or other, right? yeah, stole his mocha. <laughs> That's what we know. Picked, picked up the wrong coffee and walked out. The cop sure. was super nice about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I think it's, it's helpful to understand the, the political moment in which this happened, which was during the attorney general's race, which was playing out over the course of 2009. 2010, Ted Cruz, who was uh, just finished being the Solicitor General of Texas, um, was running in that race. He eventually backed out of it once it became clear that his boss, then Attorney General Greg Abbott, now Governor Greg Abbott, was going to be running for re-election in 2010. And so while Cruz was running for, for AG, um, George, his good friend, as he describes him, George P. Bush, arranged a meeting between him and George H.W. Bush, uh, H.W. Bush in, in Maine. And uh, so Cruz traveled out to Maine and uh, I guess spent an afternoon with uh, Bush 41. And um, 
he recalls it as, as literally a magical uh, afternoon. Uh. <laughs> so, the clouds part of the angels saying. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Bush 41 lends him clothes. They go out on the boat. Um, you know, he recalls how Bush 41 is, is driving the boat like he's an 18-year-old. <laughs> how old was he probably he really at the time? Very old. Um, yeah. and I've, I've heard very from other old. people that he's apparently just like a whack job on that boat. He's just, <laughs> he's just awesome. crazy daredevil guy. Yeah. And, and so at the end of this magical afternoon, um, Bush 41, you know, writes a check to, to Cruz for his, his AG's campaign uh, for $1,000. And Cruz is, you know, ecstatic, uh, you know, just the fact that he would have the support of the, the former president in a, in a statewide race. Uh, so a few days later, this is all in Cruz's telling, I guess we should say, uh, Rove calls him up and says, you know, what are you doing? Why did you take that check? Rove from... allegedly calls him up. Yeah, exactly. This is allegedly. Um, and Cruz says, well, I'm just doing what you, you know, you said I should do, Carl, which is go out and build support. And, uh, you know, Rove says, I never thought that you'd get Bush 41. You need to return that check. Um, Cruz... Because the Bush folks were, in theory, supporting somebody else we know yeah. well, who is a former state rep, Dan Branch, who was at the time also considering. Mm-hmm. And on the national finance team for George W. Bush's right. presidential race, so mm-hmm. close close to W. Yeah, and right. Branch is still close to the Bushes to this day. He's on uh, Jeb Bush's finance team in Texas, that is. And so eventually Rove goes on to explain that, you know, you know, again, this is in Cruz's telling and apparently backed up in, a, in an email later. Uh, Rogue goes on to, to explain, you know, I'm raising money for the Bush Library in Dallas, and a lot of those donors are supporting Dan Branch. You know, don't do anything to draw attention to this this support from George H.W. Uh, Bush. And so, you know, Cruz keeps the check. He said he couldn't return it. Um, you know, eventually Bush 41's office sends over, I guess, a glowing endorsement that calls Cruz the future of the GOP. Cruz's campaign and Cruz's telling says, you know what, we don't want to rock the boat any more than we already have. Let's throw that endorsement in the trash. We won't do anything to to draw attention to this uh, this donation. Of course, the donation then showed up on you know a campaign finance report, so it was it was obviously public information it at was, the time. It was news. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely. <laughs> Wait, I think I know this name. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody um, know this Bush fellow from Houston? Yeah. Houston? Yeah. Anybody? I, I looked up the report the other day, and it does say former president on there. Yeah. So it is, you know. <laughs> Job title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> retired. Exactly. <laughs> and so um, and I guess in Cruz's telling as well, Rove threatened, you know, if you ever if you ever draw any more attention to this donation, then I'm going to have George W. Bush endorse Dan Branch in that race or at least, um, you know, back in some way Dan Branch in that race. Would that have been a great story uh, to have mm-hmm. the two Delicious. presidents on the opposite yeah. sides yeah. of the race? <laughs> right. All right. So where did we end up then? So yeah. So this all kind of was uh, leaked out in an excerpt to Breitbart News on uh, Sunday morning or overnight. And... Uh, then on Sunday afternoon, Carl Rove put up a blog post, and he did not categorically denied it. He didn't address – I don't think he addressed every single claim, but he said, you know, this is very – this is just wrong. And in the process, he also took kind of what I viewed as kind of a fresh shot at Cruz, and he said, you know, I would tell Cruz now what I told him then, which is, you know, you can't be campaigning as the next Marco Rubio. Um, you don't have the legislative experience to be doing that. Um, and so – then on Sunday night, Cruz's campaign released um, a batch of emails that appeared to back up at least some of Cruz's account in, in the book, specifically the, the claim that Rove was concerned about donors um, for the, the Bush Library. How much of this is about the very first thing you said, Emily, which was that Cruz in the George W. Bush campaign, which was run by Carl Rove, thought he was making an impression and didn't get into the White House. I just wonder if the original sins back there at, at Third and Congress, 
you know, when they were headquartering in mm-hmm. their national campaign in Austin. I'm sure there's no love lost. I mean, clearly, Cruz and, and Cruz is glowing about George H.W. Bush. I think this is a Carl <laughs> Magical. But I mean, Cruz, yeah. in, in addition to releasing these emails that from Rove that seemed to back up his claims, which was, by the way, pretty good work saving those emails, Cruz released a statement that basically called Carl Rove a liar. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much of this is, I mean, this is totally insider, right? The, the general, I mean, you've got your primary voters and your big fundraisers. Yeah, but you're running a finance will, primary right, right now, and yeah. all the finance folks are saying, well, I'm a friend of so-and-so, and so, and he's mad, and I, you know, this is this is third grade, right? Yeah. You know, I don't want to be on I that mean, side it, of the room. It definitely helps both of them. I mean, it really does. Right. I it mean, just keeps both of their names yeah. in the spotlight, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, Cruz obviously will say, you know, in every interview, well, look, Carl and I are good friends. Um, but, <laughs> but he's a liar. You know, I disagree but. with my very good friend. Um, but the, right. the fact is that Cruz's base is low, this Carl Rove and, and what he represents, my, I think, yeah. in, in my, the modern Republican my, Party. My dissembling buddy. <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Well, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. 165 confirmed speakers, more than 50 panel discussions. You might even get to see Evan Smith uh, arguing with someone on stage. So or we'll read all of his emails to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be worth your while. Registrations now open at texastribune.org slash festival. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Patrick, Alexa, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Did you watch Sylvester Turner dancing? He was pretty good. I wanted him to shake his hips a little more.